I can see the poster a little too much in my head, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know. I, I meant wait, whatever you're thinking, but good. Like the good yeah. version of that. No, you're you're going pr- the hot topic. Ver- that's what you're getting. Like that that might be what you told the producers, but you're getting the hot topic version. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you live in San Diego, California. Cassidy Robinson, you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains, and we are here to talk about some movies. We are. We're going to talk about a few movies, uh, specifically uh, No Man Land, um, which has been gaining some awards consideration in the last uh, month or so uh premiered on hulu and for the streaming homework we're also going to review the movie chud uh which was a b movie from the middle of the 80s yeah do you so i just wanted you to ha- start huh <laughs> <laughs> so okay a little behind the scenes yeah, you you caught you had some reservations. I had some reservations about the uh, double feature that we had uh, unintentionally lined up for. Right. So this happens. Episode. This happens every once in a while, and I, I usually joke about it or whatever. If for whatever reason the movies end up kind of thematically lining up without us intentionally doing that, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and initially, I was a little worried about reviewing chud a move you know a, a b movie about uh cannibalistic underdwellers cannibalistic humanoid underdwellers to be more specific um who you know eat the homeless underneath the city and no man land a very serious uh realistic drama about you know people who who travel around in caravans and stuff um and are you know forced out of their homes through circumstances uh or people who just choose that lifestyle we'll get it we'll get into the yeah all of that in the review now i was worried enough that i called you and i and i said do we really want to do this because i had just seen nomadland and i had not seen chud yet so i was a little (laughs) like I just read the premise and I was like, oh, that could be weird. And I had seen Chud, but yes. not Nomadland yet. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, then this is interesting. And I was like, eh, it's fine. Because <laughs> <laughs> I came away uh, after I finished Chud, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're fine. I I was definitely overreacting. Yeah, and, uh, and, you, and you might have seen it in a different light. Well, we, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later in the podcast when we actually get into the meat of our reviews. I don't think these movies are that connected. <laughs> They're not. They're not whatsoever at all. I mean, other than the idea of homelessness is brought up, um, but that is. I mean, aesthetically and genre-wise, every single other way, it is completely, um, you know, apples and oranges. So yeah. I, th- I think we're fine. 
<laughs> I think we're fine, but we're bringing it up at the top of the show in case somebody let us know might not think it's fine. Send all your hate tweets to at VC Cassidy. Don't at me at him. This was his. This was his fucking Netflix pick. So this is on you, buddy. Or at McGuffin Pod, which is the uh, the podcast uh, Twitter they should be following anyway. Um, I first wanted to say uh, R.I.P. Fry's Electronics. But uh, you know which was well you're you're a Californian now. Like you should you should be aware of Fry's. I've never been. It 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 was one of those places that like I would drive by it on the highway and I would see like their giant stores and I'm like, oh I should go there sometime. But I just I never knew it, you know? Like I I know Best Buy, I know Target, I know, you know, these other places. So I just was like, yeah, I'll go to a Fry's someday. But no, I won't. Well, no, no, you won't because it has officially been closed. Um, there was a fries down in Manhattan Beach, just a couple miles south of where I was living in L.A. And I had to go there for some reason or decided to go there for some reason. And uh, they had uh, basically it's like a janky Best Buy. Or, yeah. Well, I don't know. know. I've it's, heard it's that the same kind of idea. It's just there. It feels a little bit cheaper and a okay. little bit like the prices aren't necessarily cheaper, but um, just the general atmosphere does not feel as corporate. Well, that I was, might be on purpose. I was seeing like people posting pictures and stuff where there were like these crazy theme. Yeah, they fries. do themes. The one down in Manhattan Beach is Hawaiian themed. There's like tiki's and stuff. Oh, there's a fountain. Fun. There's a fountain in the middle of the store, yeah, but no, it that... never felt like intentional. It just felt like. We got to spruce this place up, go to the dollar store and pick up some shit. And we'll just, just c- kind of piecemeal. Yeah. Kind of like, let's yeah. patch this together and call it a store. Yeah. Like, the, oh, it, we meant to have a fountain in the middle of the store. Not like we built this out of something else. <sighs> There's um, a, there used to be a fries here too. Like in, in San mm-hmm. Diego, I just, it was a big one. I would see it and I'm like, I want to go. I just never did. Well, the cool thing about fries is the cool thing about fries for me was they had a hell of a DVD section. And they always carried weird stuff that you didn't find other places. Like, they, mm. for whatever reason, they were really up and up on carrying Arrow releases. Um, so that's where I got my, like, big box set of uh, my big Arrow release for Last House on the Left. That's where I got my big um, The Hills Have Eyes uh, Arrow set. The, uh, the Hellraiser Steelbook uh, uh, arrow that I got. Um, I probably society as well. So I found a lot of that stuff and they were a little bit cheaper and they did, they did price matching. So like if you could find it cheaper on Amazon, you just show them on your phone and they would price match it. Oh, I'm never comfortable with that. Like I know a lot of stores actually offer that, but I'm like, I, I don't want to deal with this. I like, I, I'm so non-confrontational that i don't even want a fucking price match i will just go to the place where the price is cheaper well i'm so cheap that i will i don't give a fuck (laughs) and i have like yeah had to wait through like three levels of management to get it oh no no (laughs) hard pass i I would be like hey i I wasn't mean about it i wasn't like "Uh, no i'm I'm not let me talk to the person who says yes it's always like oh um let me check with somebody and then they'll come back and then but what i'm saying is like like, when they're like so and so i've worked enough customer service jobs that when they're like 
ooh, let me get someone to see if this is okay, I'd just be like, no, it's fine. It's like, I'm sorry I even brought it up. It is not worth it. And they'll even be like, are you sure? And I'm like, no, just this is already more of a thing than I wanted it to be. Let's just move on. <laughs> no, fuck that. I'm getting it, that $2 off that it would have been had I got it from Amazon or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, RIP fries. I was very sad about that. Of course, um, there's no fries near me right now, so it wouldn't have mattered. But... Um, you know, this is just one of those like uh casualties of the pandemic and we'll probably well, see a few more before it's over. I mean, yeah, I is it the pandemic I, or is it just like direct to consumer online retail shopping? Yeah, I, th- I think they were on their last leg for a while and this was just a thing that finally Yeah, it's it, it's like you know. So, you know, Criterion, the one that you love, like I know they mm-hmm. sell them at Barnes and Noble, but as far as brick and mortar yeah. stores go, there's not a lot of options. So most people probably just buy like Criterion direct from their website, right? Like, right. So I just I think that the direct to consumer model is just like becoming the norm. I mean, I think right. even even without the pandemic, I think and and you know Amazon is the giant monolith that it is, but I think a lot of people will order direct from like. You know, just the the niche websites like Arrow or whatever. Like now most people would – instead of like, oh, what store can I buy this Arrow release of last uh, House on the Left? I think they'd just be like, oh, well, I'll just look it up on Arrow's website. Right. And a lot of times there will be pre-orders for that kind of stuff. And more and more because of who I follow on Instagram, I see the ads – Exactly, uh, yeah. Like two weeks before they're released. Oh, my algorithm fucking knows me. I have clicked on way too many of those ads <laughs> that I'm uh, more than I'm oh, proud yeah. of. Every time I click yeah. on one, I'm like, ah, damn it. And then when I actually buy something, I'm like, fuck you, Instagram. I get like mad. <laughs> How effective it is? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, okay. I mean, better that than them trying to sell you boner pills or something. I don't know. I would prefer the boner pills because then I would just scroll past. But like, I recently, the very impulsive buy, like I collect um, like enamel pins, um, uh, kind of like the, if any of our listeners are familiar with like Disney pin trading. Um, oh, pins. Not, I thought you said pens, like. No, pin, like P-I-N, like, uh, like lapel pins. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I like the enamel pins. Um, we actually have a pretty good collection of them. And there was this one that was like a direct marketed ad of uh, the starter Pokemon as enamel pins, but they were all like dressed up in like suits with bow ties and they're called Gentleman. And I was just like, fuck you. I was mad. <laughs> I bought it, but I was mad. Okay, before we lose everybody, let's go ahead and get into the first this segment. Is, this is relatable chatter! <laughs> let's get into the first segment. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were doing the movie news, and I announced that they are doing a, a reboot, a reimagining, a remake um, of Wizard of Oz. And they've only announced the director and some of the production choices. They have not announced a cast. So as a exercise... I figured it'd be fun to recast the main roster, character roster, of Wizard of Oz with current day actors. Yeah, uh, we've done segments like this before, or dreamcast segments. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, uh, uh, or like, you know, if they had to remake this movie, who would we want to do it kind of thing? But in this case, they actually they are. are. So They actually are, yeah. yeah. Um, and before we get into it, I want to ask how you approach this. Did you approach this as in, what is the modern day equivalent of, you know, this this actor, that actor? Or did you have like a specific version of what a remake would look like in your head and you tried to accommodate that? Man... Or just uh, go off, off who's hot. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, this was pretty difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was hard for me to even conceptualize like what a good version of a Wizard of Oz remake would look like. Yeah. So it, it was pretty hard for me to separate it from uh, the, the 1939, the, the original, you know, with... Um, Judy Garland. Judy Garland, yeah. yeah. Uh, MGM. So, I kind of had that in my brain as mm-hmm. like, okay, so what what would be sort of a modern version of that? Um, but I, I didn't necessarily want to hang myself on the musical cross. Right, because you have to start thinking about who can sing. Yeah, because who the fuck can sing? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? It's always like some when they write into a script where someone has an excuse to sing and then they sing and it's like, oh, shit, all right, they can sing. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know who can sing. Um, so I guess I just kind of approached it from like, okay, who can I see filling that in my head? Um, or, you know, if I was directing it, who do I think might be, you know, bring something fun to this? Okay, Um, cool. Well, we'll start with the star of the show, uh, Dorothy Gale, um, who is a modern day Dorothy. This one was hard for me because I didn't realize there's not a lot of actresses in that age, age range right now. Yeah. This now, is I think ins- Judy Garland was like 18 or something when she played Dorothy. And they really? had to like, I don't remember, she but they had to like, young. I know that they had to take, like put her out of makeup. You can, you can see all these like, um, you can see all these production shots of her when they had makeup on her, like lipstick and eyeshadow and stuff, yeah. and she just looked too old. And so for the movie, they didn't do that um, huh. to de-age her a little bit. So I think she might have been in her teens, but she was at that point starting to look too old. You know, um, I honestly wasn't too concerned with age. Like, obviously, I don't want someone in their 40s. Right. Um, but... Again, what does a modern day Wizard of Oz look like? Is it? Am I setting it in the Depression era? Like I don't know. Right? Are you? Is it? Are you making it contemporary? Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, to, so to consider. Both. Uh, I actually had a tie, uh, or or I had like two options for my Dorothy. Uh, the first one I think is way more of a risk because she's relative unknown. But I know she can sing. So in my brain, I was like, well, she could at least like give me a good version of Somewhere of the Rainbow. Um, even if the rest of the movie isn't a musical, she could belt that out. But she is she's older. So I cast Meredith Hanger, who I don't know pro- if I know who that is. You probably don't. She's in the show Search Party, um, mm. which if you haven't watched it, fucking watch it. It's on HBO Max. It's yeah. in- incredible. And she would did we watch that that movie Hits? Was that for this podcast? I know I watched it. No, um, I don't believe so. That David Cross directed. And she's in that, but like she's not in a lot. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was like, ooh, she's kind of a relative unknown. Um, but you know, she's like older. She's like, you know, probably your late twenties. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. 
It's a very different take. Yeah, but I think she can play that kind of innocence well. And I think she's just a really talented actress. I think she's really funny. Um, uh, and she can sing. She's a really good singer. So she was my initial pick. Mm-hmm. And then my follow-up for trying to get a little closer to Judy Garland's look and also a, a much bigger star to sort of sell sell this thing uh, was Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah, I considered her as well. I actually considered her for a few different roles. But yeah, I I I thought of her. I ultimately I tried to go younger cuz I think in my version of The Wizard of Oz, the one I'm seeing in my head that either Guillermo del Toro or Tarsem Singh would make <laughs> is like kind of more leaning into like the horror aspect of it. it wouldn't oh, be a musical. Okay. It would be a lot more kind of like deviant art dot com kind of um okay so yours I'm could be bad for different reasons than my could mine could be bad because yeah, you're that, just like the hot topic version yeah, that but good that but good <laughs> like the thing i said but good so i'm thinking of i want to go younger because i want her to be more vulnerable i want her to per, to play afraid really well i wanted to kind of to add more tension into scenes by her not being an adult or perceived as an adult or even a I teenager, just don't know any, if any, at all like, possible. Yeah. Uh, the youngest I could find that I think could pull it off is uh, Elsa Fisher or Elsie Fisher. I might be getting that wrong. She played in the movie uh, Eighth Grade. Okay. Uh, she was the lead in that. And she, I think she's 16 or so now. 16, maybe 17, but she still has a lot of vulnerability. She doesn't she doesn't look like central casting yet. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure she'll get there. Well, I haven't seen her really since eighth grade. So, you know, a lot can happen to a teenager in two years as far as their looks go. But I think she's, yeah, she definitely can play interior and vulnerable. And I think that she looks Midwest- and I think for the type of thing that I'm imagining, she would be really good for it. All right. All right. Well, and, um, I, and she's a great actor. I mean, you know. No, I mean, that's great. I don't know any uh, young actresses right now. Um, the other person I was considering, but I just haven't seen enough from. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm afraid she might be a little too. Uh, I don't know. But the, the only thing I've seen her from is uh, she, she, she was that young actress. I don't even have a name. The young actress who was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that you met in a pool one time. Oh, yeah. She might still be a little too young even. I don't know. I mean, think of how young Feruza Balk was in Return to Oz. Feruza Balk was like nine. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely was not going that young. I was going for you, know, you went more... for a full blown adult. <laughs> uh, young, young adult. Well, yeah, M- Meredith Hanger is young, as an adult. Um, Anya yeah. Taylor Joy, I think, can. She's like twenty three or something. Yeah, and I think I would probably settle more with her just because she has that look of what I would think of as Dorothy in my head. Yeah. Um. And apparently, uh, rumor has it that. You know, one of the top people in contention for the role is Haley Steinfeld. So, well, that makes sense with the braids and everything. I think she, for me, she's too old now. 
Yeah, she's and I mean, I, and she's like I the same her, age as Anya Taylor Joy. So yeah, if, if not even a little older. Um, if I were her uh, agent, I would say don't do it because you don't want to be perceived as a kid anymore. That's well. just my advice to Haley Steinfeld. But okay, let's move on. Um, we're getting into the the trio now, the big three. Uh, do you want let maybe to speed it or speed it up a little bit? We'll just name these three in succession. Who is your scarecrow, Tin Man, and Lion? Why do you always make me go first, you fucking son of a bitch? If you don't have them filled out, I can go first. No, no, I do. Uh, I'm just, I don't know if I'm particularly happy with my choices. I'm not. Um, So for Scarecrow, I wanted some, I went kind of uh, comedic with these three. Um, Yeah, I think two of the three of mine are. uh, And just people who I, I think could... Embody these roles. So for the Scarecrow, I had Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I wouldn't um, consider that's actually great. Uh, for the Tin Man, I have Chris Evans. Okay. Yeah. And for the Lion, I have John C. Riley. Yeah. Those are all great. Because of my uh, same theory that John C. Riley makes every movie better. Yeah. Um, and I think they just kind of embody or can embody what those characters are, at least in the original film. Sure. And I know Sasha Baron Cohen can sing, so that doesn't hurt. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were still considering that. And my mine's not a musical, so I wasn't. It was really um, hard for me to get that out of my head, mm-hmm. honestly. But uh, Okay, yeah. I don't mind any of those picks. My Scarecrow is Adrian Brody, which is my le- probably my least favorite pick Ooh. out of this list. I I was thinking, cause, okay, here's my thought. <laughs> I was thinking, let me get, let me say them all and then I'll go back to Scarecrow. Okay. Um, uh, Tin Man, I have Paul Rudd. Okay. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I like that. Cowardly Lion, who can sing, by the way. And Cowardly Lion, I have Dave Batista. Oh, I almost had Dave Batista. <laughs> I'm, I was almost certain you would. <laughs> I literally subbed him out for John C. Riley at the last minute because I was like, you know what? This needs some John C. Riley. That's hilarious. <laughs> no. I think I think Batista could absolutely nail it. I just yeah. I think that um you know John C. Riley has a little more range. He has a little more emotional depth. Yeah, I but, think the idea of seeing you know jacked Dave Batista as the cowardly lion and you know I just think bit, that's funny. It, it plays against hype, but it also it like fits into what he does comedically. Yeah, I um, no, I agree. I was I was right there with you. I think uh, it's a little bit stunt casty, but in, in all the right in ways. a good way. Yeah, yeah. in a good like ca- uh, character centric like actor considerate way. Yeah. Um, and Paul Rudd just makes totally makes sense to me. Yeah, I actually think I like him a little bit more than Chris Evans. I I think uh, I think either's good though. Yeah, yeah. Now Adrian Brody is probably my most like basic bitch pick out of all of these because I'm thinking lanky. I'm thinking yeah, um, kind of spindly. I just and don't think he has the my version the necessary of it is like, charm. Well, my version of it in my head is that is very kind of stylized anyway, so he'd be behind a lot of makeups, maybe slash CGI prosthetics. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily matter what they look like, except for maybe the eyes and the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I started with Adam Driver, and Ooh, I like that more. I decided to go with Adrian Brody because I just don't think that Adam Driver projects friendliness. 
<laughs> I don't know a, that Adrian Brody does either. I think he does. He has more sympathetic eyes. I think that he, I mean, I, you know, I didn't see the penis. He was probably nice in that. Um, you just said penis, but sure. Pianist. Pianist. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think ultimately I kind of landed on him because I think he just has a bit more warmth. Um, and I think that is important, even though I prefer Adam Driver as an actor generally. Uh, but actually, of the three that have been mentioned, I, I think I like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen the best. Yeah, he was he was the, I think, my most solid. Part of me was like, am I throwing John C. Riley? Like, is that too... I, part of me was like, should I handicap myself and not allow myself to fan cast John C. Riley in any more things? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I really liked uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. He was probably the one I was happiest with. All right, uh, maybe the most difficult one, Wicked Witch oh my... of the West. Yeah. Because um, how do you beat Margaret Hamilton? It's just an impossibility. But who did you pick for the Wicked Witch of the West? Speaking of basic bitch, uh, I went with Adele Dazeem, uh or Adina Menzel. <laughs> um, she played the character in for Wicked, so long. Right? In yeah. In Wicked, and I thought, you know... Again, stunt casty as fuck. Yeah. But maybe it would be cool to see her play it as like full villain. Um, you know, because Wicked is like from the perspective of her, and you know, it's like makes her a sympathetic character. So it's like, what if we use that to our advantage and are just like, okay, this is not wicked. Be the be what you couldn't be in Wicked. Like be evil as fuck. Uh yeah. so I thought and and she was really good in Uncut Gems, which I saw mm-hmm. her in recently. So it's just like, I couldn't really think of anyone else who I would want to see play this. I just was like, is this too stunt casty? Is this too Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland I'm getting here? Like, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, st- I think with the right director, it would work. Yeah, I'm not hyped on that choice only because I think people have such fixed ideas of her in that role and what it means. Yeah, but so, nobody... I mean, I get... You, only the people have seen it on Broadway. Like, have you seen Wicked people. on Broadway? No, I have not, but a lot of people exactly. have. And yeah, a lot of people are em. are aware of it or know the songs or whatever. A lot um, of people? Fuck them. <laughs> all those people who potentially would see this movie? Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, so again, I'm kind of I think they'd go because of that, though. I think they'd be hyped. They'd be like, oh! Oh shit, she playing a wicked witch. Oh shit. It would be it would be a talking point for sure. I'm I, again, I'm trying to think kind of more horror who's like specifically can play scary and isn't just going to look like an actress with green paint on their face. Sure. Cuz that's yeah. the thing about Margaret Hamilton. Is she almost in that movie anyway? She looks more natural as the witch than she does as as a person like she doesn't yeah. it doesn't look like she's in costume even though but, it's obviously a costume but uh, but how much of that is also like iconic uh yeah. uh recollections of that movie because by the time we were born wizard of oz had already existed for like 50 years or something right it was ubiquitous and so it's not like she was in a ton of other i mean like she was in that, a lot of movies but nothing that we saw it, so that is like what the archetype witch looks like now right. I, because of that because movie. Of yeah. Uh, yeah, so so of course she looks so natural in that. Like, that's how we've always sort of seen her. 
Right. Um, I guess I'm thinking like I'm ha- having a little bit of like PTSD from Oz the Great and Powerful when it was uh, Mila Kunis doing yeah. like a Margaret Hamilton impression with a fake rubber nose. Yeah, I don't like. Not that. good times. Not good times. Yeah. Um. So I'm thinking, I you know I I, I landed on a lot of people. It was like Sarah Paulson for a moment, and I was like, that's. I, she's a little all over the place. Uh, maybe even Nicole Kidman. Yeah, I don't love that either. And then I landed on Elizabeth Moss. Um, I think she can play. She could definitely play insane. The listeners can't hear the face I'm making. Yeah, you're scrunching your nose. She can play insane. I think she can be genuinely scary. I think she could internalize the role in a way that nobody else would. They would just do a big operatic theatrical kind of thing. I think she would try and make it more of a character. Um, and again, it's, it, you know, it would have to do with costuming and makeup and all that stuff. It all have to work together. But uh, I think she has it. I think she could do that mm, and, and okay. make the character her own. I mean, I like her more than your other choices, but I I still just don't love it. I don't know. It looks too... I can see the poster a little too much in my head, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know. I meant whatever you're thinking, but good. Like the good version of that. No, you're you're going... The hot topic, that's what you're getting. Like, that, that might be what you told the producers, but... You're getting the hot topic version. All right. Uh, who is... Who, uh, let's do. Right. Do you want to do Glinda and Oz together, or yeah, we could do those two together. I'll just go. Okay. Um, for Glinda, this one was a little hard as well. Again, yeah. because I'm trying to think of like who is like austere and beautiful and kind of otherworldly in a way that if they're floating around at a big pink ball, it's not going to look ridiculous. Um, We're going to say the same person on this one. I think. I don't think so. Maybe, right. maybe not. Um, for my Glinda, I picked uh, Roseman Pike. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, for my Oz Great and Powerful, this is who I wanted it to be back when they made that movie uh, uh, with uh, James Franco. And I said, that is like horrible casting. Yeah. Um, uh, Jim Broadbent. Oh, that's fucking solid. But I, I, I did almost think of John C. Riley for him. I I also almost was like John C. Riley for Oz, but then I was like, I think John C. Riley would work for Oz, mm-hmm. um, but I liked him more as Cowardly Lion. Just makes him a little bit more of a feature of the movie, and yeah. it just he can really be the comedic heart of the movie. Um, whereas as Oz, it's more of like, oh, that's John C. Riley at the end. Uh, Oh, man, I was so all over the place with this. So for my Glinda, uh, I picked Laura Dern. Oh, okay. Yeah, that um, makes sense, too. Yeah, because she has that, I think, this otherworldly kind of presence. Uh, she can be extremely comforting. Internal. Um, yeah, and I think you could also have some moments where maybe there's like a little dark edge to that as well. Um yeah. So I really liked that. And then once I was thinking Laura Dern, it got me down uh, the road to my Oz, which I picked Kyle MacLachlan. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what I... That's exactly what that part should be. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, cool. (laughs) Especially for the scenes. I mean, I don't know 
what your remake entails. But the scenes when uh, he's just playing the snake oil salesman, like, oh, um, absolutely. Magician in the cart or whatever. Those are great scenes. Those are great. Like, that's like a comedy set piece, basically. Yeah. And, and, you know, his time with like Portlandia and stuff, like, yeah, he's very funny, very natural and like uh, very dry humor. And I think he could sell that don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain thing in in a way that's unique from uh, the original that we got, but also doesn't feel alien to that. Yeah. In fact, actually, if we were making this movie in 1995, he also would have been a good Tin Man. Yeah. But that was the other thing. I was like, (laughs) Laura Dern, she makes every movie better. So I almost was like... (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't let myself cast John C. Riley and Laura Dern, but you know what? Until they're in a fucking movie together, mm-hmm. they probably they have been. I think they are. <laughs> yeah, I think I looked that up and they have been. But um, I think they're in that that Molly Shannon movie, Year of the Dog. I want to say they play a couple in that, maybe. Um. Anyway, yes. Uh, Damn, you're right. Shit, I gotta see this movie. <laughs> scientifically it has to be the best movie (laughs) yes we'll keep that in mind for a future netflix or streaming homework does have a pretty good cast peter sarsgaard regina king molly Mm -hmm. shannon i think it's written and directed by mike white too yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. want to just uh blow off what our streaming homework is oh no you'd have to pay for it i'm not yeah not yet we'll wait we'll We'll keep an eye on it, though. Um, okay, well, that was a fun segment. So, Hollywood, there's your ideas. Uh, it's always interesting to do these before casting starts to see how much ends up happening. Like Usually, I just it pisses me off because I'm like, ah, oh, my idea was so much better. Like, god damn it. <laughs> Man, I bet you if Dave Bautista isn't cast as the lion, though, like, what are you yeah. even doing, Hollywood? They're not trying at all. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's let's get into it then. Let's shift gears a little bit. A little bit. Let's start reviewing uh, Nomadland. Uh, this is the new film that uh, premiered on Hulu. Uh, Keith, give me the premise to Nomadland. Uh, sure. Frances McDormand is playing this uh, woman, Fern, who she, her husband has passed away and... The town they lived in was like this uh, industrial town. Uh, I can't remember what they sold or what they produced. Anyway, it was a um, mining town of some sort in Nevada. Yeah, yeah. But after the the two thousand eight recession, the town like the town dried up. The factory closed, um, and her husband passes away, and um, she ends up becoming uh, a nomad. She lives in her van and travels the earth. Uh, she kind of is traveling from job to job kind of thing. She's like doing seasonal work for Amazon. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, she's doing seasonal work for Amazon um, around the holidays. Um, and then it follows her sort of travels through the course of a year. And she goes to this nomad camp where uh, a bunch of people who are, you know, who don't have traditional homes meet up. They kind of, you know, it's kind of like a, it uh, seems like a adult summer camp type of thing. Um, they like sell various wares and, and things like that. Yeah, um, it's not too far off from sort of a like communal 
uh, lifestyle either. It's a little bit sort of a, a carrier. It's like somewhere like between commune and like tiny house revival yeah, like yeah. kind of thing except for for the most part people are living in vans and campers and that kind of stuff yeah and it's it's like you know it's a community and a support group mm-hmm. um it's sort of a bartering system they just sort of trade things that they make either crafts or maybe you know different items they have and or things they don't want anymore yeah um that maybe somebody else could use or whatever um yeah yeah so she goes to this sort of group camp and then uh you know from there kind of just continues to travel like this this movie really isn't heavy on plot Mm -hmm. um it's definitely more of like mood and and just like it it almost feels documentary style like it, it feels like you know we're just sort of following this person rather than mm-hmm. this character in this like fictional story yes and no i think that there is a uh, there is a pretty solid character study happening here with, oh, with for the sure. character of fern um especially hey. as we learn more about her past and we learn more about her you know, the trauma of losing her home and losing her husband and how that ties into her journey. Yeah, and, and, is- and there's definitely a dramatic arc as well. I just yeah. I just mean, like, it isn't about a lot of stuff happening because most yeah. of it is internal. Most right. of it there is... is no like there's no like outward uh, conflicts that are propelling the plot. Yeah. Yeah, it it's mostly has to do with Sort of different circumstances that lead her from one place to another. Yeah, and sometimes the circumstance just happens to be it's time to move on. Um, mm. It's just it's I just don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, and I you know I think this is a pretty interesting movie because uh, as far as like American capitalist society goes, this isn't this isn't what we're sort of sold as the American dream, you know, a a lot of the movies about that is about like, you know, what happens to these people who not, don't necessarily fit into the system or have maybe aged out of it or have uh, just no interest in owning a home in, in, in settling down in one town. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, lots of Jimmy, lots of characters along the way and they all see, you know, have, pretty different motivations and and reasoning for living this uh you know what would be considered a non-traditional american lifestyle right but also like very american in the same in the kind of the same way like the movie is is steeped in americana um especially what? like you know these southwest vistas everywhere and, yes you know I just all of mean, these like national parks we see i just um, mean the 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 cell, the con of the American dream. Right, yeah. The- it's it's not a, a white picket fence, you know, suburban dream kind of thing. It's it's this other sort of like marginalized uh mode of living. Yeah. And I mean I think that's a, a really important part of it is like mm-hmm. a, a a lot of the movie a lot of her character is sort of reacting to per, uh, perceptions or perceived perceptions uh, of people around her. Right. And we, we notice that a lot of these characters are generally older. Mm-hmm. There are some young people that they've been along the way who are maybe more just transients or whatever, who just need help for the moment. 
Um, but basically this community that have really made it work for themselves for in a sustainable way are of a certain age, you know, 50 plus are kind of maybe uh, just filled with wanderlust more than anything. And they all have their own kind of traumas and their own sort of life reasons for why they find fulfillment in moving around uh, rather than, uh, you know, trying to establish themselves anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like this movie a lot. I think it, it, it works very, very well emotionally. Um, I think the movie is incredibly warm and human. And I was halfway through the movie. I didn't have my phone on me, but, and I was thinking, oh man, this really feels like a Sean Baker film. This really reminds me a lot of how um, I felt watching The Florida Project. Oh, and okay. I thought, because it, it kind of has the same sort of like verite feel to it and that, yeah. that kind of documentary fly on the wall sort of thing. Ton of non-actors or non-traditional actors mm-hmm. um, and uh, mixed with with traditional actors and and uh, scenes that feel improvised, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And so I felt like it might be him because I, I hadn't really looked into who directed it. It's actually Chloe Zhao is the director. Uh, she's only done a few independent films before this and a, a few shorts. Uh, but Sean Baker did tweet out uh, a shout out to her and this film when it first premiered on Hulu. So I am thinking they know each other and are probably also, friends. Also, uh, apparently... She is also going to, uh, is the director for Marvel's Eternals. Which oh, is... yes. Apparently that's already almost in completion, and there's already a lot of good buzz about that. Really? Okay. Like, I didn't know about the buzz. It. I mean, I just... I, people that's... have seen it and said they're very impressed with what they've seen so far. All right. Cool. I... I... You wouldn't Honestly, immediately think watching this, like, give no, this girl so, a, a Marvel I, movie, but... So I actually had that thought in my head but it was like um uh in in my head when i was watching this i was like god this is really good this is really well directed but this is not the type of movie where marvel is like trying to bring up unknown directors they're more looking for like <laughs> genre fare so that's right. hilarious to me i literally thought like like it it's is a bum- typical it is yeah atypical. Yeah, and it, I, and she hasn't I literally even done thought a like, lot of like television work or anything either. That would you would you know, but no, I think that, that I, I'm actually like still kind of blown away by this fact. I'm I'm like right feeling from this. Um, you know, spiritually, I think she comes more from the school of a of what was her name who did Meeks cut off and Wendy and Lucy. I have no idea. Yeah, Kelly Reichardt. Like, spiritually, she kind of reminds me of, like, her or, like, really early uh, David Gordon Green when he was pretty much just doing um, Terrence Malick worship okay. and and Terrence Malick. I think those are sort of the spiritual succe- successors to this style of filmmaking. Um, I, I, I really fell in love with it. There's a lot to like here. And I was also very, very impressed, of course – we're already very well aware that Frances McDormand is great. And she's been, Uh, yeah, I mean, continually rising, um, even just in the last few years. Uh, and, uh, David Strathairn. Yeah. 
This is so not the character he ever plays. He's always like the slimy business guy or the Hollywood douchebag or, or, uh, you know, Edward Murrow in tonight or good night and good luck. And these kind of like, you know, suit and tie types, um, these sophisticated suit and tie types here. He so convincingly plays kind of small town and humble and not what we're used to seeing him do at all. I actually didn't even realize it was him for, for a lot of the movie. Um, Right. it, It wasn't until like, like near the end, really, that I I realized who it was. Um, I mean, of the two of them, this is more of the of a transformation. Yeah. Um, and not just like a you know because he grew out a beard and is wearing a trucker's hat, but because he just embodies that entire th- entire thing. In oh a yeah, way that it, feels very real and and uh, and lived in, not like you know actory. Well, I mean that—that's this whole movie. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a big part of it was for me like sometimes I was like trying to figure out how much was movie and and how much was not, and I thought that was pretty cool. And I I remember like seeing sort of the marketing for this. I wasn't like super excited to watch it because it mm-hmm. looks like it's going to be long and depressing. And you know, it's it makes you feel some emotions, but it is. I don't think I wouldn't describe it as either of those things. Like it is, I think a really heartfelt movie, a really uh, emotional movie. Um, But also it was surprisingly, uh, you know, more, I'm not going to say fun to watch, but like it, it wasn't as heavy as I expected it to be. Like it wasn't one of those movies. Like sometimes when you get sort of these art house pictures, like sometimes there's just this, imposing seriousness and this isn't like a comedy by any means but you get to see the character enjoying life uh uh in in and like kind of learning how to do that again and so there's something you feel the grief of the character mm-hmm. but it it's not a slog to watch you know what i mean it's it's not like a uh, just watch it and get super bummed out and hate your life for two hours kind of thing. Right. It, that, well, that was the thing that I would guess what I'd be kind of worried about with a film like this is yeah. that it would feel a little bit, a little bit like Hollywood making a spectacle of a different lifestyle or have this weird exoticization yeah. of these people. And like it, you can feel a classism, that just like burns through the screen, like, and that was why it reminded me a lot of of Sean Baker because Sean Baker is really able to, you know, capture these these communities that live within the margins, but do it in a way that doesn't feel exploitive and doesn't feel uh, like we're like they're zoo animals, you know, um, and they're being examined. And he really he does it in a way that you know you you actually feel immersed in that world with him. And that's what I felt here with Chloe Zhao uh, and yeah. the, the direction here. Of course, we're, we we have Francis McDormand as sort of the conduit into this. And and unlike Strathern, I think this is something we know she's very capable of doing and doing really well. This isn't outside of her wheelhouse. No, but, um, but she, but again, I mean, it's just, 
it's a joy. I mean, you know, anytime we get to watch Francis McDormand, it's a joy just to see like, yeah, it's the same thing as as watching uh, Daniel Day Lewis, but in, right. in a different way. Um, I think you know she's. I, there's no reason to compare them, uh, but you know what I mean. It's just like getting to watch someone who is extremely good at what they do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to to watch them kind of disappear in a way that you even forget that they're doing it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you don't think about you. It doesn't take you long to just like accept a character yeah. with her because she's just so real in general and she projects realness. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything negative to say about it. there are there is some interesting writing surrounding this movie right now. And of course, any movie that's kind of swept up in the. Awards race, there's always, you know, the political stuff happening in the background of, you know, people trying to tank each other's chances. But, and maybe this comes out of that a little bit. Um, I did read one thing that said that the book that this is based on doesn't have that character, doesn't have fur. So the book is kind of more like just sort of like vignettes or more just these profiles of different people who kind of live in these communities. It's more just kind of talking about the nomad lifestyle in general through these different profiles. Um, and Fern is sort of a, a writing device into the world. And I don't think that that's a problem, but one thing that they talked about and maybe, you know, you've canceled your Amazon account and stuff. Uh, one thing that they talked about is that like some of these, some of these people, I think Linda May who plays, one of her friends in the movies and is playing herself mm-hmm. um, actually did work at an Amazon. Um, and uh, she talked about uh, getting injured on the job and like having to work through it and like watching other people get injured and one guy like falling and dying on the factory or the uh, warehouse floor and like these not great conditions that Amazon is very well known for. And none of that comes up in this film. And I didn't think that they had to go into that. This isn't a movie about Amazon sucking. Um, Mm -hmm. But it does seem glossed over in a movie that's so much about class and so much about... um, I don't know. I I can see where that's coming from, but I don't necessarily agree with it because it's like... I don't know. like, Like... you I didn't think that the movie needed to, like, stop in the middle of its tracks and say, okay, now we're just going to focus in on, like, the terrible working conditions of Amazon. But it's also, like, Amazon is relatively easy to get a job at. And for right. someone who's living this lifestyle, I can see why that would be appealing seasonal work because it's, like, you know that it's something that's going to probably be a little more... I don't want to say stable, but like, you know, a lot like, okay, well, I'm going to have that money, that Amazon money. Like, it, at least in the story, it, it made sense. I didn't feel like it was, um, I didn't feel like it was glossing over any of the stuff with Amazon. I think it just wasn't interested in that. It, that like, that's not right, what the movie's about. It's ultimately not what it's about. And I think that there's a, the movie, uh, the thing that I was reading was saying that they, they sort of depoliticized the story compared to how the book sets it up. Uh-huh. Um, Cause the book is very much about that kind of post recession thing. Um, yeah. 
And for the most part, the movie is more of a character-driven spiritual kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. And that's what the movie is. And it's really good at doing that. There is one scene that I think uh, brings home a politic to the movie that it, had it not been there, it would have felt uh, deafeningly quiet if it had not been brought up ever. But there's a scene where she goes to live with her sister, who's a little bit more established, a little bit more suburban. Yeah. Um, she They have uh, realtor friends who are coming, and they're talking about how they, you know, uh, were, were able to uh, yeah, like get, th- the- get through the crisis and how, you know, there's money on the horizon and, and it was, you know, not as bad as it seemed or whatever. And she kind of like, you know, excuse me? Out. Yeah, like, yeah. fuck you. Like, that's easy for you to say, basically. And it becomes like a thing. And I feel like that scene is super pivotal because had that not been there, then then I would have felt like it was a little too like, oh, we're just like the free hippie fairies living out in the wild. And, <laughs> you know, like, let's burn our bras. And like, this is this is great. Like, let's, you, you know, it would I, almost I, I think it, would all, it would turn it would turn what is. I think that's really reductive. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm, I'm not saying that that's what the movie's doing. But what I'm saying is, if you're starting the movie with 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 the premise that she is specifically brought to this lifestyle because of the recession, yes. and then it never comes up again, and it's all about her spiritual journey, then I would feel like it starts to feel less like an American problem. Uh, or that class is completely ignored, essentially. And and here I don't think – with that conversation, I think it helps anchor the – I mean, there, there's another scene similar to that, too. Not not in as political, but um, – I mean, the whole movie is about rejecting the capitalist lifestyle that we have been sold, this, this American lie – of you yeah. know work your fucking work yourself to death for 65 years uh you know or whatever and you know like i i feel like the there's a similar scene it's not as implicit about um you know about like real estate but you know there's a scene where there uh, uh where he she's talking to uh swanky i think and oh you know right. she's yeah. Talking about like how she's not gonna spend any more time in hospitals and and uh you know, they're sitting around a campfire and this one character talks about how uh you know this guy dies a week before he retires or a week after he retired or something. Like that's all throughout this movie. I just think that that scene is the most explicit about it. But Right. I but I don't I don't think it's it's a hippy dippy free love thing. I think it's like uh, uh, the America rejected us, uh, and so yeah, we are rejecting that. What you're selling the the fucking forty hour work week. Um, I mean, these people know. work. You know, they work and they work hard. I mean, yeah. like you know, like fucking they- white white collar, save for retirement until you die kind of thing, and then. Yeah, what yeah. happens when you do retire? You you're too old to fucking enjoy anything, and then you you die. Like right, and a lot of these people, specifically because of their age, didn't have 
a retirement or didn't have anything to retire on yeah, specifically were, because of the crash. They were screwed out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I think that I think it's all elements, there. Yeah. I think that is just like the most, you know, that is the movie being explicit about it. And right. and I agree. I, I think it need. I do think it needs that. But uh, yeah, I just overall, I thought this movie was a lot more interesting than I was kind of expecting it to be. I thought it was going to be a big old bummer. And I don't think that's what this is. I think it's actually a pretty warm, tender movie. Um, you know, mm-hmm. again, it's not like a laugh riot or anything, but it's not overly I mean, it's dramatic. Pretty, it's pretty it's pretty emotional. Yeah, I don't I don't think that all the emotions you're feeling the entire time are are just wallowing in pity and sadness and and dourness, but it is, you know, it's a tearjerker, I would say. Yeah, no, and I don't think that's a bad thing though. I don't. I don't think yeah. it's bad for a movie to be emotional. It never feels manipulative. No, and and I just it it never feels overly dramatic either. Like because it's going for this realist realism, um, it feels just I think really honest. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you give it? Uh, I give it an A. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this isn't going to be the type of movie that I'm like gonna be reaching to a lot but i think it's it's a really important story and it's it's really well done yeah i agree i enjoyed it a lot um if you happen to have hulu i would recommend watching it uh it's good it's good stuff all right let's go ahead and talk about the streaming homework now which is the sci-fi horror film chud so this movie is Sort of a cult film at this point. It came out in 1984. And I think it was maybe two years ago or something like that for for April Fool's Day. Uh, Criterion announced a Chud Criterion <laughs> in, okay, on their social media. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> With like a good. fake cover and everything that they put together. Including essays by blah, blah, blah. Um so this is like a B-movie, basically, and it uh, stars a lot of people that were just on the cusp of breaking. So it actually has like a pretty impressive cast yeah. for a Monsters in the Sewers movie. Um, John Hurd, who a lot of people probably recognize as Mr. McAllister in uh, uh, the Home Alone movies. Uh, Daniel Stern as well, uh, also Home Alone alumni. Um, yeah. Oh, weird. Weird. <laughs> Like I, I knew they were both from that, but I did not make that connection because they never have like any scenes together in Home Alone, right? Yeah, like it, it sort of feels like two different movies of like the bumbling parents who left their kid and the home invasion stuff, right? I did not even occur to me that they were in the same fucking movie. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, and they're, and they're in this movie as well. Daniel, that's going to take a minute. Um, Kim Greist, uh, who would later, I think just a year after this would be in Brazil. Uh, and, uh, even for, for one scene, we have a uh, blink John, and you'll fucking miss it. Yeah. John Goodman appearance in this movie. Um, uh, also, uh, Sam McMurray. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christopher Curry, who plays a, a big, uh, big role in the movie as a cop. Uh, so essentially the plot is. That uh, people have been going missing in the city, specifically around um, the these underground layers in which uh, some of the city's homeless live. And there's a photographer 
who is trying to plan what he wants to do with his girlfriend. Maybe they're going to have a family. Maybe they decide to stay in the city. Uh, he kind of gets roped into this. And there's also some shady stuff going on with like a government organization who may or may not be trying to cover up something. Um, you know, basically there's mutants in the sewers and they're eating people. Okay. Sure. Uh, I think your description of this movie is a pretty good example of what's wrong with this fucking movie. <laughs> I okay, I'm just gonna say I fucking hated this movie. See, uh, I didn't I didn't hate it. I don't think it's a good movie, but I didn't hate it, but go on. Okay. Well, I'm gonna tell you why I hate it. I was promised fucking monsters in the sewers. Mm-hmm. And instead, what I get is these long, drawn-out scenes. About dumping uh, fucking radioactive waste and, uh, uh, like, fucking bureaucratic bullshit and mm. a lot of John Hurd and his girlfriend just <laughs> hanging, hanging out. out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and these these storylines sort of come together at the end. Yeah. Kind yeah. of, but not in any, not in any satisfying, like, story way. And honestly... Nothing really happens. This movie is really frustrating. I get that it's a low-budget creature feature, mm-hmm. but could we feature a little more creature? <laughs> uh, I think the design of the creatures are pretty fun. I mean, that's yeah. pretty campy. Um, Big glowing eyes, slimy. There's pretty good gore effects, actually. Yeah, but the, it felt it felt like they were. It felt like the fucking writer or director. I don't. I don't even know who it was. Um, it felt like they thought they were making Jaws, but uh-huh. they just weren't. Like, Yeah. I, and this is why I would say it is better than I thought it would be, and but still not good. Um, I think that the writers and uh, the directors, uh, Douglas Cheek, who did not do very much else, by the way. I think he did like a, I don't know, like a religious movie or something after this. I don't know. Not much. But I think that they wanted to make something kind of funny and self-aware and like owned the silliness of the premise. And it's kind of working on that sort of really, I don't Joe Dante, Joe Dante ish kind of vibe. Um, but I think that it's almost, I think there's, there's a little bit of a cynicism to it to where I think they think they're above it they're above that kind of movie. And so what they end up doing is they end up filling the movie with all this unneeded character stuff. Um, And and, and I'm all into, I like knowing the people and I actually like most of the characters in the movie. They're just, it's just so overwritten for them. Yes. Um, This, this movie is way, I, I mean, it's like an hour and a half and it's a fucking half hour longer than it should be. Because there's just these scenes that go on forever where they're just like, nothing happens. And, and yeah, I think all the actors are fine. I think even the character setups are fine. They just hit a point in the movie where they do not know what to do next. And then it's like, oh, all of a sudden, we're going to wrap everything up. Uh, yeah. And there were monsters at some point, but they just kind of disappear because... Of course, the real monster's government, uh, which, sure, I get all that. I 
it just it felt like I mean it, this is this movie is what it is. It's a really bad John Carpenter rip. Uh, like it, it's just not operating at the level of satire he's capable of, and right. uh, uh, it, and it thinks it is, but it like it just teeter totters between taking itself way too seriously and not. Mm. And most of the time, I think it takes itself way too seriously. And just, I don't know, everything just feels like nothing feels like it matches up in this movie to me. Well, it's unnecessarily padded with things that don't need to be there. I mean, if you're making a monster film, um, a cheap, low-budget horror film, and you're worried about what to do with the runtime, you can always lean on monster attacks. Exactly, you yeah. Don't, and that's why I thought it was interesting slash disappointing that the movie decides, let's do more character development instead of places where there actually should be monster attacks. Well, that's what I mean when I, I feel like it was trying to be Jaws. Like, I feel like they're mm. trying to do all this, like... Let's not show the monster, like, suspense stuff. Yeah, and let's let's build, uh, you know, let's build the, the even down to, like, the bureaucracy of the mayor in, in Jaws. Like, it just feels like that. They just don't get why it works in Jaws and why it doesn't here. And it's like... Right. And, you know, the there's just so little monster. Like, and, and this is supposed to be, like, this big you know, threat to New York City, it never feels like that. It feels like there's, like, one or two monsters that they could probably just shoot. Like, Right, it's also a little unclear as to where, how big of a threat are the monsters to people who are living above ground, because well, at I mean, one if point... We're, if uh, we're getting started on the rules of the monsters, then a oh, lot of Oh, it's all unclear. over the place, yeah. Yeah. Because it seems like, for the most part... They're only really underground, and they have to stay there, and they're only pulling people under. But then by the end of the movie, they're in people's apartments. Yeah, so, but we, and we there's no, like, reason why. No, it, it, other than to have, you know, these horror scenes or whatever. Um, there's also these weird setups that don't happen. Like, the lady with the kid, uh, you, you know, who, like, sees someone get eaten in the boxes early on, and, like, you mm-hmm. think for sure she's going to get eaten. But, like, she just kind of never comes back, really. I don't know. There, I was pretty disappointed. I was expecting a big, dumb creature feature and not a, a dumb movie that thinks it's smart. Yeah, I, I would say that that is probably its biggest problem. I think that it, you know, maybe it's just because of how old it is and, like, some of the idiosyncrasies of these characters and just the fact that this movie was made. I think it it fulfills that kind of like 80s monster camp um, enough. I don't think it is like the epitome of that. But here's the thing is I thought based upon like, you know, the Criterion thing and, you know, the parlance chud is like calling somebody who's like not very intelligent or, you know, whatever. Sure, yeah. um, It's kind of become a thing. So I thought that that the movie would be like more bad than it is. I like, would have I thought that it would. That. I thought that it would be more kind of like troll too bad, or like or like uh, hobgoblins, or I would know, have, stuff like I, that. 
I honestly would have preferred that. I I thought this movie was pretty fucking boring. I was like, no, I think that the the problem with the movie is that it actually could have been better. It could have been on a tier higher than that level of camp, which I would have been happy if it was just another Hobgoblins or something and be like, oh, "Oh, look at this ridiculous bad movie. But the fact that they have like pretty good actors pulling in pretty good performances, the dialogue's pretty natural. I actually like the production design of the city. It is somewhat contained. Like it's hard to tell like how much is real and how much is a soundstage. Uh, It all felt pretty sound stagey to me but that i sort of i sort of liked the look of the movie though it reminded me of it's like somewhere between maniac and teenage mutant ninja turtles no you're you're right there i just wanted it had I everything except for excitement <laughs> yeah it just is such a slog it's so like it just never builds to anything, and e- mm-hmm. even the scenes that are, like, played for scares don't really make sense. Like, when she's in the shower and there's just blood everywhere, and it's like, what? what is that? What is? Oh, I kind of like that scene, actually. What did it... But what? So, but there was a fucking monster, like, underneath the shower just, like, shooting blood up? Like, it didn't No, because she makes... Because she's in the shower, uh-huh. and it's starting to clog because the monster is blocking the water... Okay. And so she makes a hanger thing to unclog it. Yeah, which is not a not so subtle reference to the abortion they talked about she might get. <laughs> Actually, I didn't put that together, but that's funny. Um, oh, it was, I was like, wow. All right, movie. And that so, was like one of the only parts that I was like, okay, we might have something here. So she makes that to unclog the drain and she ends up stabbing the monster uh, through the drain, and of course the blood sprays on her. I thought I thought that was like a good like visual gag. I didn't. I don't think that's what happened. They didn't have normal blood. They had like green glowy blood. Well, it doesn't have to make sense. They had the blood they had. <laughs> <laughs> they had the blood that they had that day. Um, did she maybe stab? I don't know. I, basically, I think the thing that worked for me the most about this movie was um, I thought I thought John Hurd was like. Him and Kim Grease's performances were fine. I just mm-hmm. didn't think they fit into this movie at all. Like, they didn't make any sense with it. And they well, never, they, they like... they were integrated in the movie. The problem is that there's, like, three different characters who are vying for the position of main character. Exactly. And none of them are. And so you just have all of them competing for screen time the entire movie. Well, yeah, but they're story never really coalesces in a satisfying way it never feels like natural that they would come across these chuds Mm. (laughs) uh so really the only aspect i liked of the movie was i i did really enjoy um daniel stern and christopher cory as as bosh um (laughs) yeah they absolutely know what movie they're in and I, I think you probably a better script would have just cut the photographer and his girlfriend. Yeah, would have just followed them and 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 yeah. yeah. There is a sequel. Oh, uh, it's God. not made by the same people, and I don't think it has any stars in it. May, but it could be more monster heavy. I would imagine it probably is. Uh, but yes, I can't. I'm not going to call this a good movie. It is a interesting cult movie. Uh. Uh, curiosity, um, but that's about the best I could say about it. It's it's basically bad, but um, 
it's surprisingly not as bad as it should be, but in a way makes it worse. Yeah, I I think I think it was just kind of boring and not fun. It's not it's not what you want it to be. It's not what I wanted it to be. Maybe. Yeah. I think some people depending on depending on how you arrived at Chud, you know, you might bring different expectations to it. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I'd be interested to know like what 1984 audiences thought. And that's true. I want to hear from the Chud hards out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to I yeah, I want to know uh <laughs> I want to hear your stories. I want to, I want to know. I want I want to know. I wanted to like Chud. I was excited for this, yeah. but I like If you got to if you got like a a 10 issue run on Dark Horse to do a Chud comic, there's enough there to to do something fun with it. That's fair. I I did think uh that this is the exact type of movie that should be remade. Like like we you you could have some fun with Chud nowadays. Sure, but I kind of feel like there's enough stuff that's kind of just living in this, like, 80s nostalgia slimy puppet world now. Like, we have attacked the block. We don't need Chud. I don't know. I, th- I think a, a modern Chud, I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remake Chud. Do it. I am. I'm going to do it. I'm going to remake Chud. Write a treatment on it, at the very least. Uh, yeah, it'll feature 98% more fucking radioactive sewer monster. <laughs> and less conversations with the EPA or whatever the fuck. I, yeah. All right. Sure. What do we have lined up next week for our streaming homework? We've been watching a bunch of older stuff, a bunch of, you know, um, uh, blood sucking bastards was an old, but, um, uh, I'm. I wanted to do something pretty modern and kind of get us out of the sci-fi horror stuff we've been into lately. So I mm-hmm. wanted us to watch Queen and Slim, that is streaming on HBO Max currently. Um, uh, it was uh, came out in 2019, so this is a pretty pretty new movie, a sort of a modern Bonnie and Clyde, from what I understand. Right. Um, it kind of came and went. Um, I was really excited by the trailers, and then it, I just didn't hear anything about it after that. So I guess we'll find out why. Um, but yeah, that's what we'll be talking about next week. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the movies that we talked about, or our Wizard of Oz dream casting, or whatever. Or Chud. Ahead, or Chud. Get a hold of us on social media at mcguffin pod on twitter and instagram or you can email us at uh mcguffin at gmail.com you can also follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffin pod um please leave us a star rating and a review over on uh itunes or stitcher radio uh pocket cast and uh spotify and google podcasts um you can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VC Cassidy, V as in Victor. And uh, you can also uh, read my reviews that I do every other week for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal movies. That should take you directly to the movies page. Keith. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can also follow my art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Okay, and that is the episode. Gog and Magog. 
On each side of the throne, there are four living creatures filled with eyes in front and behind. I know your work. You go by the name of being alive, and you are dead. Bye.